mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. All right, everyone, welcome back. Today we're joined by Tony Stein, starting strength coach at Starting Strength Houston. And I wanted to have Tony on today because we got a request from Francesco DeCaro on the forum to answer a question for him, which essentially is, what is the process like for an aspiring coach to become an apprentice at one of these gyms, to become an SSC, and then to become a head coach? And Tony's done all that. So if you're interested in this topic, please proceed. Continue to listen and watch. If not, um, we'll see you on the next one. This is a rather niche episode, Tony. So we're talking to, to primarily um, aspiring coaches, and we're talking primarily to people that are so into what we're doing that they want to hear what it's like for an aspiring coach to do what you've done. So, so let's start there. Break it down for us. What, what did you do? Where were you in life? What motivated you? Just kind of give us the context about how you got started with JD and the team over at Starting Strength Houston. Well, so I guess this is a real fun story to tell because I was on the sort of on the cusp of there being a planned path to the credential. Uh, historically, there hadn't really been a planned path to it. So I really first started lifting in kind of like late 2016, early 2017. Uh, read the book, uh, got super excited about it, started putting on weight, uh, getting my lifts up, uh, eventually sought coaching for it. And I was really excited to, you know, just like everybody share this with, uh, you know, family, friends, anybody who would tolerate me talking about it, um, basically. But at the time, if you wanted to pursue the credential, it meant that you went to an affiliate gym because these gyms didn't exist yet. Uh, that you got into contact with somebody, that you lurked on the forums, uh, that through one way or another, you kind of tried to acquire the skills uh, to do this. And so eventually it came that uh, the, the gyms were opening and I was super excited to see that we were gonna have a Houston one. Uh, and I got in touch with JD as soon as possible. Uh, and then when the news that Chase uh, came out that Chase was gonna join us, that was super cool too. Um, so it was, kind of the biggest fanboy experience uh, when before we were in a desert. So like the first time I ever now, did what- Now that you've met ahead. your idols, did they deliver or did they disappoint you? <laughs> oh, 100% they delivered. All right. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, then you need to get <laughs> to know them better. That's usually not the case. Uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll keep it clean and professional for this, right? <laughs> we'll say. <laughs> Um, but when I, when I did like what you'd call an intro session, uh, I drove all the way down to Richmond, you know, to pay Randy Winfrey cash to like learn the lifts in his garage. Okay. So a few years ago, if you wanted to see a starting strength coach, that was kind of the deal that you, it was either I was going to drive there or drive up to Kingwood, uh, to see Andy. Right. So, and I remember typing in cause uh, it was like for the early interest list for Houston, they're like, Hey, where in town should we put this? And I'm like, Oh, obviously you should put it down the street from my house in Montrose. That'd be the best thing you could do. And lo and behold, here we are. Um, which is ended up being the best thing kind of like advertising wise for us. Um, but in any case, uh, I got to start at starting strength Houston as uh, an intern. 
And uh, they, they interviewed a whole lot of people. So there were only a few, a few of us that uh, ended up doing it. I think they ended up talking to a pool of like maybe 20 people and two or three of us started as interns. And out of that initial batch, for some reason, I'm the only one still hanging on. Um, so time passed. Uh, Chase went to Oklahoma, and that kind of freed up a space for me to step into the head coach role here uh, as Josh, if he didn't have to drive into the loop, you know, why bother? So he took Katie. And since it's down the street from my house, it works out perfectly for me. Excellent. Congratulations on the progress. I remember going out to, uh, I think we had food and drinks this must have been yeah. two plus years ago. And uh, you were still an apprentice at the time. And I remember when you got your SSC and you've come a long way, man. So congratulations. Um, Thank you so much. I want to I wanna go back to the interview process because my, mm -hmm. my goal here is just to kind of let everybody know what to expect if they're going to apply at one of these gyms. JD's pretty unique because his leadership style is um, – well, he has a style, you know, he's very intentional about the yeah. way he manages people. And he, uh, he's a big fan of the Jocko stuff, extreme ownership, that kind of thing. Um, so I imagine your interview with him was intense because I remember my interview with him was intense and I didn't know I was being interviewed. <laughs> so before we <laughs> yeah. even opened our first gym, I met JD at Wichita Falls and he, Rip, Nick and I sat together in, uh, in the room there at the gym and we're having a conversation and I'm trying to get an idea of who JD is and um, if he's going to be a good fit for us. And he's just rifling off questions at me in a pretty intense fashion. I mean, JD is uh, yeah. not only is he giant, but he's pretty straight faced and direct. <laughs> so I was like, man, this yeah. is, this is intense. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I want to hear how your interview went with him for both those reasons. So, so what was the vibe like? What questions did he ask you? That kind of stuff. First thing is assuming there was only one interview. Because I feel like there were four or five of them mm, good. at a certain point. <laughs> higher, uh, higher, slow, fire, fast is our recommendation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, fortunately, I haven't forced him to do the latter yet. But um, so we talked uh, on the phone or via email a couple of times. And I think the first time I actually met him, uh, he invited me up to uh, there was a squat coaching camp uh, at Wichita Falls. So I still hadn't met him in person. He's like, oh, hey, this sounds like a great opportunity. You should come up for this. And I'm like, okay, uh, if I want this internship, I guess I'm driving to Wichita Falls. Uh, so um, at that point, I had uh, my own kind of small business where I was coaching people out of my house. Uh, my wife, uh, at that point in time, uh, my girlfriend was supportive enough that she's like, you know, if you had a gym at home, you wouldn't have to, uh, you know, drive to the gym and spend all the time there. You know, and she's like, maybe I do a little bit of lifting too. And then you just propose so on the spot. You're like, that's it, babe. That's what I was looking right. for. Yeah. <laughs> Rings in my pocket. Let's go. Done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's nothing left to say after that. Um, so she was really supportive uh, with everything. God bless. Uh, had a home gym and had uh, maybe at most a roster of about 10 people come to the house. Uh, and that was really fulfilling. But uh, so JD invited me up to Wichita Falls, and that was when I got to meet him and a couple of other people uh, who were in Texas who were thinking about uh, interning with us. And so it was great because, uh, you know, I was just doing at it at home and I got to have like Rip and uh, Chase, you know, giving me feedback. And I remember, you know, like, I mean, we all we all try, you know, and we don't realize sometimes how uh, short we're coming <laughs> of the model until we actually get in person and get some feedback on uh, on our coaching. 
because I, I must have put somebody in like the squat bottom position. You know, I'm officially 10 seconds into like the squat teaching progression when like Rip yells, like he hasn't even left his office yet. Like he's in his swivel chair and he's like, look at his knees. And it's like, of course, I had my guy pushing in his knees. You know, what to me was just slightly outside the toes. Uh, and that was unacceptable. And so it was time to start learning. Uh, Rip's coaching so skill was, from uh, his office challenging... 50 feet away is always, yeah. is always impressive. Right. He, he could hear that the knees were too wide. Yeah, he could smell it. Right? Yeah. He didn't have to see it. Man, I fucked up coaching a guy in the deadlift once at Wichita Falls, and Rip noticed it was the most embarrassing thing of all time because it was such a bonehead <laughs> mistake. But the guy was this gangly, skinny dude and probably six six, and I just was like, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't kind of wrap my head around what I was seeing. And then Rip caught it, and I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> so yep. I know the feeling. Yeah, man. we've been there. Yeah, it always it always fleshes something out. If uh, if there's some inadequacy or something that you're missing, the platform is a great place to find it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so let's see, that was a little while out, um, from Houston actually opening. And then they set up another time while where Josh and Shelly and JD all kind of came to my house and watched me coach one of my own lifters. Uh, so that was really cool too. And JD ate all of the Reese's peanut butter cups that we had out. Naturally. So yeah, it was, <laughs> it was the <laughs> beginning of a good relationship. Um, and that was, you know, it was just super awkward to have everybody kind of like, you know, just standing around looking super buff while I like coach. <laughs> <laughs> what did your client uh, think of that? How did you, how did you communicate uh, that one? She's like, I hope I did well. You know, I hope you got the job. <laughs> Don't make me look bad. Yeah. 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 I appreciate it. Well, you know, you try and pick the person who looks the best, right? Yeah. So starting strength gyms, we will come to your house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, but I really kind of appreciated how uh, seriously they took the process, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so let's see. Started as an intern. Uh, spent. It took it took a while because we had COVID as well. Come on. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a challenge for us. Because mm -hmm. it must have been just a couple of months past before we were open. Um, and then in March of 2020, everything was shut down. And it's yeah. like we saw a big decline. You had hardly been open nine months. Exactly. Yeah. And then you were shut for two. Yeah. So we were fast out the gate and it was awesome. And then that kind of put a, a hamper on things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you were shut for two. And then JD was one of the guys that, that, uh, all committed to this new policy of, we are not going to close down. Um, yeah. you know, government, we appreciate the fact that you think that you are our mother, um, but you are not, and, right. uh, we are running a business. And a business requires commerce. And in the absence of commerce, the business fails. And we're not willing to throw away everything we've built just because of your misguided policies. Um, no, sir. Most people responded really well to that. We did an, I did an article called We Will Not Comply, and I outlined our rationale. Um, and uh, one person quit. One person quit, and that person was from Houston. One person quit that I'm aware of because of that article, and that person was from Houston. But... Oh wow! We're not for we're not for everybody, as we've said many many times. Um, all we can do yeah. is attempt to do what we think is correct and behave in earnest and uh, attempt to provide value to the people that we need to take care of our members, coaches, owners, everyone in between. And if along the way that pisses some people off, it's not our intention, but it's it's part of the gig. So it is what it is. Yeah. Um, the bleakness of COVID aside, how long? Yeah. Well, actually, let me ask you: what, what were you um, making any money at the outset, or were you just doing uh, 
uh, unpaid and kind of uh, observing at the start? Oh, man, it was uh, so my very first shift, uh, Chase had me coaching people in the bench press, right? Like, okay, go and teach these people uh, to bench. Um, And Chase, uh, he initially, I think, kind of let the reins out as long as, you know, I didn't make him regret that. You know, and it would be sort of like he'd watch and he'd give a lot of feedback. And and that was sort of the way it wasn't like a super like, you know, me, you and me are shoulder to shoulder. It was sort of like observation. It's like, OK, here are three ways that you just fucked up. Don't let me see you do that again. You know, um, and, and so that was really rewarding because it's like you end up talking to a lot of other people. And it's so easy to kind of like armchair quarterback, you know, or talk about angles or go so deep. And in a way, it was a really valuable learning experience to have somebody like Chase be like, look at their fucking feet, you know, like pay attention. Um, (laughs) And I think that was a helpful way to learn the material instead of trying to make it overly complicated, you know. That's how you know the guy Uh, grew up with straight to the point, not very polite, effective. Well, so I came from a a food background, uh, kitchens where it was kind of normal to get yelled at or have things thrown at you or uh, you know, to not always be treated the best. So like to be told, like, don't do this, you know, sort of worked with the experience that I had. <laughs> it helps if you're not sensitive yeah. as a, as an aspiring right. coach and as a member. Um, yeah. We try to cater yeah, to our member sensitivities as much to... as possible because they're paying a pretty penny. Yeah. Um, but right. ultimately we're here to uh, help you get better. And we appreciate people that are coachable and uh, are not overly sensitive. Yeah. Well, so... That's, uh, I think, to anybody who's considering getting into the job, right, to just like veer and change direction as much as possible in conversation. But uh, anybody who's thinking of getting into the job, the coaching has to be something that you figure out and you get down pat and you could do, you know, it's it's one thing if you have one-on-ones that you're seeing in your garage, right, but you need to be able to do that with like eight people at a time for, you know, sometimes 10 hours straight if it comes to it, right? But it and it needs to be solid to that level such that you can also manage kind of like personality and psychological things that are going on with people, you know, to see that somebody's coming through the door and maybe isn't like acting like themselves. And you can have that conversation, see what's going on with them, see if they need a light day, see if they need, you know, a, a conversation. And you need to be able to kind of fit that into like a minute and a half while you're also keeping track of everyone else who's like warming up and coming in the door, you know. Yeah. So it becomes this kind of interesting juggling act. And it's really good to find out early on what your motivations are for doing this kind of thing. Um, Cause if we're used to watching like powerlifters set Insta or set uh, PRs on Instagram and you think that you're pursuing some glamorous life like that, you know, rather than helping people like, you know, rehab and regain function like post-surgery or become independent or like just talking through how to like do your warmups and show up on time with people. You know, that's, I think, where the real uh, richness in the job is, in a way, and the thing that you have to be prepared to dedicate a lot of time to doing. Yeah, in fact, I'll take it a step further. I think to do this job effectively, you have to really care about people, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, because you're, you're, it's not a hard job once you have the skill set. I mean, it's kind of like saying once, you're, once you've done design for 10 years, being a designer isn't a hard job. True, it just takes a lot to get there, you know? But... um one thing that is consistent across the entire gym franchise is that our coaches genuinely care about members. And I don't think there's any way that you can do this job unless that's the case because you're showing up day in and day out. It's not, there's not a whole lot of variety. It's a few lifts, um, but you're helping people add weight to the bar. 
And when you help people add weight to the bar, then their physical situation changes and they improve their function and their mood improves and their capability improves. And that is satisfying. And if you care about how much people are enjoying their lives or not, then that's a really rewarding situation to be professional in. And if you don't, it's, you know, it's, it's not the best fit. It's, it's, uh, we, that is a feature of this organization. You know, we, we depend on coaches who care for others because it's, it's the skill of the coach and the amount that the coach cares that equates to the member experience and the progress that the member sees under the bar. And that's really everything. Everything else around that are just noise. You know, the gyms are pretty cool. Uh, we've got this YouTube channel. We've got equipment. We've got all this other stuff. Fantastic. But but ultimately what it comes down to is does that coach on the platform care about that member and have the ability to help that member move in line with the model and make progress every single time they show up to the gym until that's not possible and then make progress as often as possible thereafter? So that's a critical point. The other point you made, which Absolutely. I want to reinforce, because it's it's very important, is the responsibility of your education is yours. If you if you get through the process and you apply and pass everybody else that's applying and convince the gym owner and the coaches that you are going to add value to their operation, great. What you should not do from there is assume that you just need to kick back. And then the education will come and you'll be guided through the process. That is absolutely not the case. Coaches at Starting Strength Gyms are self-motivated people. This entire program, this whole process is built around, I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. That has to apply to you as a lifter and it has to apply to you as a student when you're learning this information. So if you show up to the gym kick back and just wait to absorb information by osmosis, you will not last very long. If instead you're a Tony <laughs> you Stein to come back. And, you, and you take yeah. responsibility for your own education and you ask questions of coaches, when you give a cue or you try to correct something and you're not sure, you find out from the pro standing right next to you if you did the right thing. If a pro standing right next to you does something that you're not aware of or not familiar with, you follow up and you ask and you're just continuously learning and you're hungry for that information. And then the next topic I want to talk to you about, Tony, is when you're not sure. in the gym gaining practical experience, you're spending your time learning the theoretical side of this and immersing yourself in the material, not to pass a test like what we're used to in school, but to gain a level of understanding and expertise that will help you become a better coach so that you can understand what's happening and you can explain what's happening in addition to being able to get people to move in line with the model. So Tony, feel free to comment on anything I just mentioned there. And then I'd also like to hear from you how you approach the prep course. Um, so for people who are just now uh, beginning to think about doing it, they kind of don't know how good they have it in terms of having uh, accessible gyms, right? As, as far as people have access to the franchise gyms as they're coming up. Uh, and then also the online course, right? So anybody doing this beforehand had to be completely autodidactic about it. You just had to take the books and, and read them multiple times uh, or fly to a gym or drive to see a coach and invest that time, right? So I had been pursuing this credential myself without a whole lot of outside assistance for about two or three years when the prep course popped up. You know, so it's like in the middle of studying, a well-planned path just kind of materialized for me. 
uh, and that was really great. Um, so to have the class and then to also have a place where you could get in-person feedback on your coaching uh, was excellent, right? Um, and I think uh, having to do it yourself makes it difficult because you either sort of feel like you're trapped in this uh, feedback loop of the books and the forum, or you're kind of reading outside materials, either from like people who have kind of splintered off from starting strength and kind of like might have uh, a different viewpoint, or you're just reading like old school weightlifting stuff or, or things like that. So it was hard to get a pure message sort of about the theory and about everything that was going on. So getting to do the prep course uh, and getting paired with, uh, with D'Agostino was really, really cool. Because uh, he produced a lot of materials and he was a person that I really, really respected just sort of like as a figure that produced content for Starting Strength. Uh, and especially his information about uh, queuing. Uh, so I was grateful for that. And uh, so the prep course really gets you writing about the material in a technical way. Which means that there's sort of a flip side that you have to practice on the outside, which is that you have to begin practicing that material with members or with friends or family instead, right? So you might write about it for the prep course the way that you'll typically talk to a, a doctor or an engineer. If you have one of them pop into the gym uh, and they start throwing around like nomenclature, you can keep up, right? But you still kind of have to sit down with, with a friend, you know, maybe like buy them a cup of coffee or a bottle of wine or something and be like, hey, I'm gonna talk at you about weightlifting for an hour and you have to stop me every time something doesn't make sense, right? So as we pursue this, it can be hard because we might not commit fully um, to understanding the material and, and in its depth, right? Um, and I think it's so easy to be a deconstructionist, you know, and think that people like people are almost guilty just because they have a viewpoint and somehow it's like more pure for us to like not commit to a, a viewpoint. And then that ends up holding us back, right? Um, like it's better to be agnostic about everything. Um, and eventually you can start to think outside of a system, but you need to become an expert in it first it is sort of the thing. Yeah. And before, then you before, you, before you try to poke holes in it, um, dear YouTube subscribers, yeah. make sure you understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Cause right. otherwise and the, uh, the, the argument back and forth will be a pretty short exchange. Yeah. Like you can take the whole thing that happened, uh, with like Rip and Lasha. Right. Where like, uh, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, like Flash Tatalikadze, best weightlifter of all time. Right. Throws a ridiculous amount of weight over his head. And Rip is talking in the podcast about how amazing he is. And even though we perceive that there's some technical errors in his lifting, he's just so brutally strong that it doesn't matter. And, and kind of the problem with Rip is that he can take really complicated ideas and express them in super simple ways. And you think you get it until you try and repeat it to somebody else. And then you realize just how cognitively deficient you really are. Right? Or you think so you understand it talk and you think he's wrong, yeah. but actually you don't yeah. know what level of thinking and research and experience has gone into that simple statement. And you've actually missed the yeah. whole point and you're wrong. That Rip has gotten me on yeah. a few of those or over the years and... Uh, it's pretty it happens to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. But so uh, everyone gets angry because they're like, oh, Rip's saying that if Lasha did five by five power cleans, he'd be stronger and then he'd like do more. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's saying it's so he's so strong. It doesn't matter. Right. And then and then we get burnt because even if you agree with what's Rip, what Rip is saying, you try and explain it to somebody who's not prepared to, to hear the information or wants to argue with you. And it breaks down and you're like, OK, something's wrong. Something's missing. I have to go back and I have to study. Mm -hmm. So.
Yep. Yeah, to your point about what it took to become an SSC prior to the gym franchise being around, I got my SSC in 2017. I think I'd gone to four seminars. Um, at the time, there was yeah. no oral board. There was no prep course. It was a platform exam, and it was a written exam. And unfortunately, I hadn't quite discovered the importance of continuing education. I, I didn't I didn't dedicate myself to learning things about my profession, which is a huge gap. And now that I've been exposed to all the starting strength people that are always learning new things and new skills, I've changed the way that I look at education because to me, education was always a negative thing. I hated high school. I lasted a year and a half. I uh, went to community college, took me nine years to get a, a four-year degree. Um, and that process for me was not about how do I learn the information. It was how do I check the boxes so I can get a degree sure. and have that degree as a backup plan in case entrepreneurship doesn't go well. That ended up working out, but it, but it taught me the wrong way to learn. And so when I tried to learn the starting strength material, I just luckily I was really interested in it. So I had a lot of practical experience with my own lifting and with teaching friends and family. And then I had the theoretical experience that I understood from the books, but I never went deeper on the topics that I hadn't been exposed to. So. I just barely passed the platform exam on my, my first try, luckily. And then when I went on to do the written exam, I prepared 44 pages and I was pretty detailed. The problem was I didn't fully understand the concepts, so I failed. Um, and I just got some stuff that was wrong. I mean, physics is an objective field of study. So if you don't understand what a moment arm is and how moment arms apply to lifting weights and you try to write about it, that will become very clear. So, uh, that was an embarrassment, but also a very good learning opportunity for me, not just in terms of this methodology and the material, but in terms of as an adult, what does it mean to be a lifelong learner? What does it mean to try to become better at your profession? What does it mean to go deeper and understand the underlying concepts that, that um, apply to whatever it is you're trying to, to better learn? So I did my test for a second time, uh, another 33 pages, so 77 pages. And in starting strength, no one cares about the quantity. It's not, it's not the same metrics, the, no vanity metrics. It's about, you know, you can have a super short, succinct, concise written exam back when those were being done before the oral board. And, uh, and you, you can get a perfect score. You could also have a lengthy one and get a perfect score. It's about the content. So my content was not correct. And the testing methodology, uh, the scoring methodology is objective. So I failed. And I took it again and I passed. And then, yeah, SSC since summer 2017. And then since then, it is oh, yeah. so much easier. It is so much easier to become a starting strength coach. Um, tell me about the prep course because, I, like I said, I hadn't, haven't taken it because it wasn't around when I became a starting strength coach. What is that like? From the outside looking in, it yeah. seems like it is a, uh, a college-level piece of coursework that requires lots of studying and lots of engagement with your guide, your mentor in the prep course. Um, and it seems like it's pretty systematic and it ties into the practical learning that you're doing in the gym. Can you expand upon what the prep course is like? Absolutely. So here, I'll take a second and gather my thoughts uh, about that. Cause you, you touched on a lot of interesting things there. Uh, so the first thing is, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit before the, the prep course. Um, so I did really, uh, I wouldn't say I did poorly in high school, but I did what you would expect with just barely skating by um, because you didn't feel like the process was for you, right? Or you weren't engaged by the process. 
um, or perhaps for some reason I felt the need to rebel against the whole process. Um, but I fortunately had a few good teachers in high school who got me really motivated to, to read books uh, and to challenge me and kind of put some idea into my head that a college education was interesting if only for the exposure to ideas that I would get. And so I did go to college and I did pretty well there, uh, focusing on ecology, evolution, uh, anthropology, and linguistics uh, were the things that I really liked to study, but completed a degree in anthropology. And the whole time, I never, ever really had a job or a career planned, but I just enjoyed learning so much uh, about humanity, language, biology, and our universe in general. And uh, I wish that there was some motivation to make money, but I've really only ever been interested in ideas and things. And every job I've ever had has kind of been more of a function of monetizing some type of hobby or thing that I'd like to do rather than somebody says, oh, this is a good idea and you have to go do that. By the time that I was finally starting to pursue coaching as a career, every single person in my life was against me and wanted me to stay in food and wine and things that I had already been doing that had been successful, right? Um, but it was just kind of jumping from one hobby to another, right? Uh, in college, I thought that I would maybe pursue like a PhD track uh, and do some type of research in anthropology. Uh, I got out and really enjoyed cooking and gathering real life experience. Uh, and that had been so much more validating, uh, worked in wine, and then eventually through finally beginning to focus on my own fitness, uh, came around to doing this. Um, so when it came time uh, around to do this prep course, part of me was even hesitant uh, about it, right? I had felt like I had already dedicated so much time to doing it that to kind of be forced uh, to do another one uh, made me upset or made it feel like the time I had invested by myself wasn't worthwhile. Uh, so I really dragged my ass on doing it for a little while, you know, uh, before Josh could get through to me uh, about investing more time in it. But by the time I came around, um, it was such an amazing opportunity because I think it's, we get really worried about being right in our presentation of the material, you know, in the way that we're coaching in the gym, in the way that we're writing essays. And it's not about being right at all. It's about just putting it all out there, you know, getting the feedback on it and then revising. Yeah. Showing what you know now and ahead. showing that you're open to taking feedback and, uh, and uh, being willing to expose your faults so you can work on them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I remember like I would be writing, uh, I was writing an essay about the shoulder, right? Uh, and we we're talking about the overhead press. And I think that there was a little bit in the book, um, perhaps from an earlier edition that talks about like having balanced strength on each side of the uh, rotator cuff or something like that. And I, and I wrote that up in my essay uh, for Nick. And he's like, well, I don't know so much about all that, you know, but was kind of his feedback on that blurb. So it was good to have like ideas that might have been older ideas or things that you're kind of suspicious about or ideas that you haven't even fleshed out. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to put it out there and we can talk about it instead of being insular and in your head and not speaking up because you're afraid of the feedback, you know? You know, what's interesting is um, what you just described is the process of determining what is true, the process of right. uncovering knowledge, which is what science is really, you know, the scientific method, right? What's Absolutely. amazing to me 
and this is going to sound insane to those of you that are not uh, really into what we're doing here and following all of our work. What's really odd to me is that this organization is one of the most committed to the scientific process of any that I've been exposed to, and certainly more so than the institutions that make policies that affect our lives that are supposed to be the people supporting, upholding, and practicing the scientific process. Um, that that's an aside, but I just as you as you were speaking, I realized that that's a pretty pretty unique situation. And then we're going to add on to that by um, sharing all of the logbook data from all of the gyms. We're in the process of building a front end for the logbook data, so I so I I'll be able to capture averages, median, min max for each lift across all age groups, both sexes. Um, and we'll be able to divvy that information up, filter it out, and tell anyone, you know, 44-year-old woman walks into the gym, how much stronger are you going to be in 90 days? I can tell you on average what that will actually look like. Yeah. So it's it's great because this industry and just the world in general is, you know, fashion over function. It's narratives. It's claims. It's bullshit. Um, it's impressing people with the, the flash and the sizzle. And um, we we are attempting to be engineers here. We're attempting to take a very sober approach to fitness. We're attempting to outline the irrefutable facts that led us to the conclusions that we have about health and fitness. And now, with the gym franchise, we're taking that information and demonstrating what it can do for people in real life and then quantifying that with weight on the bar and we have almost 1,100 members now, um, you know, complete. You know, we've got observation, hypothesis, a test, and theory. And uh, this will be rock solid, peer reviewed, in scare quotes, um, hardcore <laughs> science once we have the, the, once we've closed the loop. So it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of that because. There's so many claims being made by so many companies that cannot be backed up, that are pulled from thin air, and a lot of people eat it. A lot of people buy it. You know, we were just looking at um, the net promoter score for competing online services because our online coaching service is new, and we uh, we're curious how we stacked up against Peloton and iFit and Beachbody and some of these others, and we are head and shoulders above them as a brand new entrant to the market. So our net promoter score is 85. Um, Peloton's is in the 70s. iFit is in the 40s. Mm. Beachbody, I think, is in the 30s. So more detractors than promoters. And, um, you know, who has better marketing? Who has bolder claims? Uh, who has sexier models? <laughs> they do. Um, but we deliver the results. And, uh, you know, that that that's extremely satisfying to kind of be the opposite of what the rest of the industry is and just focus on the stuff that is that is objectively true. Yeah, so Tony, tell me tell me how hard the prep course was. Like what what was it like? What was your weekly schedule? For those people listening to this and they're kind of trying to determine, okay, you know, I have to I'm going to still keep my day job, I'll be a part-time apprentice, then I have to study. Can I do that? Is that feasible? Um, we have other other 
archetypes like uh, Andrea Mates, uh, is it Mates or Mates? Andrea, sorry if I butchered your name, from Austin, um, who's a stay-at-home mom. We've got several people like her who are balancing motherhood and left their old career and are now now coaches. Um, so, so these people listening are probably curious what the time commitment is like. Maybe you can start by answering that and then outline exactly how you spend your time each week when you're going through the process of uh, developing as an apprentice and working towards your SSC. Um, it's, it, it happens frequently that we have people who want to pick it up and, and they seem, it seems like analysis paralysis, uh, is the problem. And as far as how much time you can dedicate to this, there, there really isn't any ceiling, you know, but as long as people are willing to come in for two or three classes a week and dedicate time to the online class, uh, I'm really happy to have them in, you know, um, I think that people occasionally think that this is a, a thing that can be done kind of on the side. Uh, you know, every once in a while, a client will say like, oh man, it seems like you have a really cushy gig. You know, you get to like stand around, talk to people, you know, do a little bit of yelling. Like, how do I get in? I feel like I could do a little bit of this on, this on the side, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it, it does kind of require that you radically warp your life uh, around it if you are going to be good at it. Right? You got to be bought in, and and what they're, yeah, and and what they're asking is is kind of like a really lazy thing. It's like, hey, you know, I could do this without like a whole lot of thought or investment, right? Like, you know, you just pick this up. It's like riding a bike, um, and so by the time that you pass your platform, you will already be doing this full time. You will already be talking the talk and walking the walk and have done this professionally for some time, right? Your passing the credential is not going to be the culmination of anything. It will be acknowledging that that has more or less already happened for you in a way, right? And while that certainly does come with more opportunity, uh, I think that if the only thing that's driving somebody to do it is to get the credential and then to kind of rest on their laurels, it's the type of personality that's not going to be able to do it in the first place. I'm really happy you mentioned that. When it comes to... Sorry to cut you off. I just want to just interject quickly by saying, yeah, if you are not fully bought into this, if you're not fully committed, don't waste your time. Don't waste our time. You know, there's skill and there's will. If we're looking at the two broad categories of uh, evaluating a new hire, don't care how good of a coach you are. I don't really know how good of a coach you are. We can check you out, whether you're the best coach you've ever seen or the worst. Um, you, you can learn, you can add on to your skills in the gym. The skills can be taught as long as you have the will, which is why the will is the most important part. And if you're looking yeah. at this as just kind of a, a part-time gig to make some extra cash on the side, that will never, ever work. So don't bother. Yeah. Um, but if you are fully committed and you see this as part of your future and you want to become a coaching professional, you know, not like people that work at at these commercial gyms, but someone like Tony Stein at a place where people are paying $455 a month to get coaching from Tony and his staff. If you want to become that type of professional, you have to go through the process. You've got to learn the theory. You've got to learn the practical. And that takes time and it takes significant focus. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Tony. Um, so as far as getting through the course, it is really good if you have someone who's going through it alongside aside you, um, who's relatively close in timing or who you can set aside maybe two, three hours a week so you can kind of talk over questions. 
because um, I think a lot of this material is sort of asking you to argue aside, right? Um, it's so I think when I when I turned uh, in one of my first or second essays to Nick, um, you know, there are word uh, there are, uh, word count suggestions for each of the essays, and uh, you know, a lot of them are three to five hundred words. And I must have written an, an essay or or turned in a, a paper where you know I was writing a hundred words to every three hundred that were suggested, you know. And his feedback was, Tony, nothing that you've said is wrong, um, but there's just kind of a lot to the argument that you're leaving out, you know. And, and I'd like to hear you flesh that out a little bit more, you know. Um, so it's fun because we have kind of like these, uh, you know, we have like iconic questions like why is uh, squatting safe for the knee, you know, uh, and you could really easy, easily like rattle off something about like balancing the forces around the knee, right? Um, but then there's another way where like you can back all the way up and you could start thinking about like, you know, gravity and the forces acting on the body on about compression tension moment. And then you could start to answer uh, that question using the, the moment model. Uh, or you could also think about like the length tension relationship and muscles and you could kind of answer that question that way as well. And ultimately your answer is the same, but if you're going to skip straight to like, oh, you know, forces are balanced, it's, it's safe, you know, QED. Um, the moment somebody tries to like poke at you, you're not going to be prepared for how those answers are constructed, hmm. right? So I think a lot of the questions uh, for essays seem almost comically like their answers should be way shorter and i think each of them is an opportunity to really think from the ground floor up about how these answers are built mm. and it's it's great because every answer kind of exists like in a place along a continuum of theoretical information for how these answers are constructed from first principles and you need to be able to think forward and backward about how that's done uh otherwise somebody's going to ask you a question you're going to crap your pants because you don't know right so <laughs> if that makes sense and i don't know is a phrase that we encourage in these gyms one of yeah. my my yeah. biggest grievances with this industry is how people that have no idea what they're talking about either have lied to themselves or are willing to lie to the member standing in front of them about what they do and don't know and so for those of you coming up please especially in our gyms please if you don't know something, if you say, I don't know, that actually does what you're trying to do when you give a bullshit answer. When you give a bullshit answer, you're trying to build authority. But when you bullshit someone, right. most smart people can tell. Um, I, and a lot of our members are more educated than some of the apprentices, by the way. So don't try to bullshit somebody. Don't bullshit anybody. If you don't know, just say you don't know. Um, but you say, I'll find out. I'll get the answer for you. And then you'll learn, and the member will learn, you rinse and repeat, and everybody benefits. So I have a I have a client who's making uh, pretty amazing progress. Uh, or I mean, he's he's very happy with the progress that he's making. He just got his deadlift up to uh, a little over three plates. He's squatting in the mid twos and he's really close to benching two hundred. Um, and he's weighing in around two hundred pounds right now. And when he first started, he was weighing at one seventy, uh, and he was in pain all the time. Real quick, uh, how long did it take him to go from one seventy to two hundred? Body weight. Oh, let's say six months. Six months. Okay, please proceed. Yeah. Um. And he had also been seeing a physical therapist, and still sees a physical therapist from time to time for uh, this ongoing pain. And you know, it was really close to when we first started failing. You know, reps at one thirty-five. 
Uh, and as time go has gone on, we've had so many conversations where we've talked about food uh, and about the process, you know, and about his recovery and about uh, managing injury. And now he's gotten his body weight up and pain is feeling so much better. Um, and he's and he's beginning to trust the process. But he came in one day and he's like, my physical therapist says that a lot of my low back pain is because my glutes are too weak. And they want me to start doing pause squats. Uh, and they suggest that I do them in here, you know? Um, and I, I did it. We did, we did a little bit of pause squats. I added some pause squats in the warm-up. I'm, I'm going to be cool about that as long as we get our work done. And as long as it's not detracting from that, right? But, you know, I pick up one of the 10-pound plates and I hold it up to my chest. And I'm like, how long can I hold this plate here? And he's like, oh, you know, forever, for a while. And then I hold it at arm's length and I'm like, how long can I hold this plate this way? And he's like, a much shorter time. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, it's, it's heavier that way. And I'm like, right, the force is multiplied by the length, right? And the muscles that operate my shoulder have to overcome that. And he's like, sure. And so we obviously have the graphic on the wall of our squat, but I point to that and then I draw an uncoached squat on the board. And I'm like, okay, so the process that's happening with my arm is happening here at your hip and your glutes operate that. And he just looks at it for a second and he's like, he's like, so our version should make the glutes stronger. And I'm like, that's, that's what your conclusion is, right? That's what you're saying. I didn't say that. And he's like, he's like, it seems that way. And I'm like, awesome. Let's go squat, you know? And it's, you need to be able to come up with explanations that are that salient, that are that quick while still being able to explain in a, a deeper, more theoretical way, why the same thing is true. Yeah. You know, if you're going and, to be successful. And what this PT doesn't understand about strength training is that a squat is superior to a pause squat if your goal is to make your glutes stronger. Because a pause mm -hmm. squat reduces, it, it eliminates the stretch reflex from the bottom of the position, which means it makes the lift artificially more difficult, which means right. you will not be able to lift as much weight which means you will not be able to get as strong. So right. if we had the opportunity to discuss that with this PT and then remind the PT that the function of the glutes, as he well knows, is to extend the hips and that the more weight you're loading the hips with that they have to extend against, the stronger they will get, then he'll probably come around and see things from our point of view. Um, and yeah. if not, we're always open to being wrong. What's the counter argument? Tell us what we're missing here. Right. But um, the if PT doesn't so know easy. about strength training, and uh, that's pretty standard. But at least he's open to the idea of squats being useful to building strength, even if he doesn't know exactly how to do that. Um, so this this client, uh, you know, we we have a pretty good time at the gym. You know, we we tell a lot of jokes. You know, sometimes we talk uh, some shit. It can be a lot of fun. And anytime somebody says something, you know, kind of like mean or awful right you know kind but sometimes they make a mean joke uh he'll he'll joke that he's going to write the google review for the place you know like the expose google review uh and i told him i'm like i'm like i dare you i'm like i want to hear that like coach tony has said five of the worst things i've ever heard a human being say and also got me strong when i didn't believe i can do it so i'm <laughs> like put that review on the right people will come the shit know? talking <laughs> is part of what you're paying for I mean, that's a hundred percent. Yeah. That's part of the experience. Um, 
Well, you know, we've got some teenagers coming in and like learning how to like, you know, rib each other mm. in like a loving and caring way is a skill. 100%. You know, but yeah. yeah, we get to help them with that. Yeah. Learning how to, how to, uh, insult somebody without offending them is, is quite an art. Right. Indeed. Where, where did this fella start, by the way? Because after six months, you got his body weighed up. I think you said 30 pounds, and now he's deadlifting over three plates and squatting, uh, you know, two plates and a quarter, uh, roughly. So mm -hmm. what, what, um, where did he start? When he first started with me, he'd been doing it by himself a little bit uh, and was around 135 on that squat uh, and still not yet two plates on the deadlift. And what, what was his, uh, what's his age, by the way? Uh, I would guess mid thirties mid thirties okay. off the, without pulling up any specifics. Gotcha. Well, let's switch gears. Let's go back to sure. your progression through this whole process. Um, can you outline for me what those steps were? So it's, you know, your prospect, apprentice, coach, mm. starting strength coach, head coach is the typical progression. What was your progression right. like? And if you can, I'd like you to share how much time you spent in each role and how much money you made in each role, if you're willing to share that. Sure, sure. Um, initially, so I started training myself in 2017. Uh, and after I had been doing that for a few months, anybody who would train with me, uh, I would absolutely start training them for free, right? Uh, if you'd come to the gym, if you'd hang out, uh, if there was some way to do it, I, I would help. Um, and that included providing video help for a couple of friends. And so at that point, everything was basically for free. Um, in 2018 was when I started my own business uh, at home doing it, right? And so I was charging people, you know, two, three, four hundred bucks uh, for a monthly membership to come to my house uh, and do it, right? Um, I know I could have had a lot more people if I was doing it for free, but I also wanted people who are going to take it seriously. You know, uh, so that was the hard kind of selection process. And I figured that seemed like a reasonable price to charge. When I started at Starting Strength Houston, I think we opened late 2019, right? Um, so uh, initially as an unpaid intern, then I think as classes filled up, our original model was that we had 12 person classes, right? So some people would be sharing a rack. Uh, and as soon as a, a class passed seven people, it meant that it needed an intern on hand to help manage that. Uh, and that was paid around $10 or so, right? Per class or per uh, hour? Eventually we changed uh, per hour, Okay. right? So a class would be an hour and a half, right? Um, we changed the model after COVID to be eight person classes with a slight price in increase, but it meant that the model no longer required an intern to be there, right? Um, so currently you're getting an eight person class with at least one coach, right? Uh, no sharing of a rack. Um, but it means that the internships are also unpaid. So that's the thing that we go back and forth on. Um, at this point we have an intern who's been with us about six months and we've just brought him on. Mm. Uh, we're now paying him, uh, which we're really happy to be able to do. Um, but it requires that a person is someone that we can begin to depend on, right? That we can schedule them to cover a class uh, or an intro and they're already there. Mm. Uh, a person isn't necessarily going to collect a wage for just showing up uh, and observing yet, right? Yeah, and um, that's actually where, where the distinction is made from uh, the franchisor's point of view. 
if the person is there and they're just observing and they're not adding any value, you can justify that as an unpaid position. But as soon as a person starts participating and adding any level of value, that should, uh, that should be matched with some level of compensation. So Dan has recently crossed the threshold from uh, burden to actually being helped. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yes. Uh, and we're really happy with that. Um, so, oh, okay. I remember um, once, by the way, I told, I told an apprentice at Austin that he needs to become useful. And he was quite offended by right. that. <laughs> I was like, this is not going to last, man. This is not, if you can't admit that you standing here does not provide any utility to anybody but yourself, um, you're not clear headed about the situation. And that's, uh, that is not good. Yeah. You'd occasionally run into that, uh, in kitchens, you know, like somebody is about to clock out and it's like, Oh, Hey, you know, would you like to like stay and, uh, help do this? You know? And it's like, Oh, you know, I'll do that when I'm paid to learn to do it. And it's like, okay, well, you're never going to get that job. If you don't know the the job goes to the person who's already doing it, mm. not the person who's waiting to be paid to do it. That's right. right? Yep. So the sooner that you can find out how to like weasel your way into that role, whether or not people are asking you to do it, the better. Yeah. yeah go above and beyond for Christ's sakes, or in 2022, if you literally just do what your job requirement is, you will be uh, considered exceptional in most industries. Right. Yeah. No, I think that was, that was always the game with Josh or Chase is like, could I be faster than them? Right. Could you fix uh, something that they were trying to fix? Right. It was kind of a healthy competition always. Right. Mm. And it's like, I mean, how are you ever going to be as good as however many years of experience such and such person has? Right. But you get to stand on their shoulders, right? And then piggyback on that experience and, and try and use it to your advantage, mm -hmm. right? So what was the next step in your progression after um, you guys moved to one member per rack and you uh, your presence at the gym was no longer necessary? You were just kind of shadowing and learning. What, what happened after that? So that kind of happened, fortunately, just a few weeks before Chase was moving to uh, Oklahoma and after I had already passed the platform, I think right before I passed the oral. So everything worked out kind of serendipitously. Uh, and I think Chase sort of realized that we were a little saturated here in Houston as well uh, and was excited definitely not to be any closer to home, right? But just to, you know, go start another gym and to keep carving out uh, new spaces for the franchise. So. Got it. Um, so then, and so what I were was you... able to step into his role just as a coach in the morning, uh, quite quickly. And then Katie opened a few months thereafter. Right. Got it. So everything worked out very well time-wise. Uh, cause that's another thing is that just because you've passed, uh, the platform or even the oral board doesn't mean that a job is guaranteed as a, as a head coach. For sure. It, it's subject to availability. You can have 100%. whatever credential, um, but if the, the job opening isn't there at the gym, then you have to stay in whatever job you happen to be in. So for those coaches that are out there trying to figure out their career plan, just make sure that you have an agreed upon progression plan with your boss so that you both have an right. idea of where you want to go and, and when that might happen. And of course, there are no guarantees when you're looking into the future. So it's more of a, uh, it's more of a general directional goal. What were you making, Tony, if you don't mind sharing it, feel free to, to punt these questions if it's sensitive, but I'm curious what your income was when you took over the morning sessions for Chase. Uh, when I took over the, I believe that was in the twenties hourly. Yep. And now that we're in a head coach position, we're in the thirties. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So you've gone, you've uh, tripled your pay in a couple of years. 
Um, 30 bucks an hour if you're doing full time is 60k ish a year as a as a head coach who you know you you were not a professional coach before you you joined this uh, this franchise and now you've been coaching a couple years and for our coaches that have been SSCs for a long time and have been professional coaches for a long time some of those guys are making upwards of $80,000 if you include revenue from online coaching $90,000 um, mm-hmm. are you doing online coaching at the moment Tony yeah, I was at one point I was up to around 15 clients. Now no, I'm down around 7 or 8, and I think maybe the sweet spot for me is around 5. And what do you earn per have, like, client at the moment? Around 130 or 40 or so. So let's just call it another 1000 bucks a month. So um yeah, accurate. You're you're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 grand a year. Not bad, man. <laughs> Uh, I'm not mad at it. You know, that's, uh, that's a good situation. <laughs> that's a good yeah. situation. Congratulations. You, uh, um, you, you earned it much. and, and uh, the dedication really speaks for, for itself and JD has nothing but, but nice things to say about you. Um, and I got to tell you, it makes me as the person who's nervous about every aspect of our quality, because that's our differentiator. It makes me feel comfortable that people like you are the ones staffing these gyms. So thanks for everything you've done. Thank you so much, man. I really what, um, it. what else should we mention? What, what advice do you have for someone who's looking to do what you've done here? Yeah. If somebody is thinking about doing this, they just have to enjoy the ride. Honestly, they, <laughs> if you get, bogged down in what the direction and the future is and and when the path will be legitimate and when you'll be a professional um i think it ends up stopping you from from getting in and making mistakes right and i mean especially you know i was getting paid but there were so few hours Hmm. that i also was still coaching people at my house and i was still bartending in the evening when I first started out doing this. So I would be at the gym with Chase at 5 a.m. And then fortunately I had an early bartending shift, so I'd be coming home at 9 p.m. Uh, to climb into bed uh, and to do this again. And and that meant that, you know, there were times where I didn't feel like writing essays. And it meant that, you know, if you woke up a half an hour before like, you know, the wife and the dogs, that you got to get on your phone and start typing up an essay real quick, hmm. you know? Waiting for the time to do all of these things to present itself to you rather than making time for it means that it's never going to happen. Um, Waiting to have a credential, you know, or a pat on the back or whatever it is to get started means that you won't get started. Um, And the lifestyle change is going to happen first where you start dedicating all of your time to this and you start helping people and you start seeing their results. Um, And then there will be affirmation from other people later. Right. But if you're waiting for that, it's, it's not going to get off the ground. Notice the parallels here, guys, to strength training. Those members that are waiting for the perfect opportunity, when they'll have enough time, when they won't be tired, when they'll have the headspace to improve their diet, when the new year starts, these are not successful strength trainees. These are not successful strength trainees. These are not the people that dedicate themselves to our gyms and spend the money that we require to afford staff like Tony. Um, the same thing applies to wanting to become a coach. 
I think that's that's the main theme here. If, if you glean anything from Tony's process, experience, story, it is that you have to take ownership. You are the one responsible for your own progress. This applies to you as a trainee. This applies to you as a coach. If you're willing to go above and beyond, if you're willing to take responsibility for your education, then you can reap the rewards the way that Tony has. So I think that's a good message to end on, man. Anything you want to add before we wrap up? No, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, man. It'll be up in a couple of weeks. Sweet. All right, guys. Thank you, dude. See ya.